Hello there, Barry Smith here of Fingal Libraries, welcoming you back to another episode of Fingal Libraries' podcast of many things cultural and anything else that takes our fancy. Some people think that humans arrived in Ireland 10,000 years ago. Although probably true, it's quite dull to think that we've been knocking around here that long. It is, however, much more exciting to believe that humans only appeared here about 3,000 years ago and that they had to wage war on the magical inhabitants that were here first. So let's do just that. And this week we shall look at the mythological invasions of Ireland. Mythology is as important to us as it was to our ancestors. It is unfortunate that the phrase myths and fairy tales came into being because they are very different things. A fairy tale has some fantastic element and is usually good versus evil with some morality thrown in alongside a talking rabbit or some such. Myths, and in their collective study of mythology, was of central importance to our ancestors' sense of identity. They were not simply stories to pass the time as they sat around the fire. They were lessons on social construct and etiquette, origin stories that rooted people to the landscape, explanations of natural phenomenon, histories and genealogies. They were whetstones that sharpened people's moral and ethical notions. They imbued meaning into life and suggested purpose for wayward souls. We today categorise everything. Nature, evolution, religion, spirituality, warfare, the environment, history, politics, archaeology, genealogy, topography. These were all spoken of as one by our ancestors. They informed and learned of everything at once. Their entire world was given meaning by their mythological tales. Their landscape was not a separate entity. It was dotted with the abodes of their gods and the resting places of their ancestral spirits. It was saturated with their ancestors' stories of survival in glory or defeat. It could not be viewed in isolation. So when we are looking at our own mythology, of which we are extremely fortunate to have such a large surviving amount, We try and look for the meaning in the tales, and by doing so, we are connecting to our ancestors by listening to creation myths that they themselves listened to millennia ago. We get our information from the 11th century manuscript called Laurgavala Erin, which means the Book of the Taking of Ireland. It is also known as the Book of Invasions. Through poetry and prose, it details the story of Ireland from creation to the medieval period including the six invasions of Ireland. The first four end poorly for those concerned. The fifth involves the pagan gods of Ireland, whilst the sixth invasion is that of the Gaels, or the ancestors of the Irish. Now before we begin, we must stress that although the tales are pre-Christian, they were very much written by Christian monks, so there are many subtle and not-so-subtle amendments. Let's start with one not-so-subtle Christian amendment. The first inhabitant of Ireland was the granddaughter of Noah. Yeah, that Noah. Her name was Cesare, and she must have done something really terrible, as Noah denied her admission to his ark. So she created an idol, and that idol told her to head on over to Ireland. So with 40 days to spare before the great flood, Cesare tried her hand at boat building, and together with some friends, they weathered the storm and landed in Cork of all places, at Dunanvark or Bantry Bay. They lost a couple of ships along the way, so they did a head count when they landed and discovered that Cesare and her 49 female friends were paired up with only three men. So naturally the three men divided the island of Ireland as well as the women between them 
Now it transpired that two of the men died rather quickly. God only knows what they were playing at, but Snoo Snoo cannot be ruled out. This left only Finton to populate the island. So what did he do? He absolutely buckled under the pressure and turned himself into a salmon and fled. Cesare and her gal pals obviously took this very personally, so they formed a women's only club, and after a few uneventful weekly meetings, they all died in the flood. Finton, for his part, took refuge in a cave and survived the flood. He spends the next five and a half thousand years wandering around Ireland, shape-shifting into different animals. He eventually turns back into a man and tells Diarmid MacCurvall, High King of Ireland, about that time he buckled, as well as the entire history of Ireland up to that point, of course. 300 years later, Ireland's second group of settlers arrived. They were known as the Partholonians, called after their leader, Partholon, who was also a descendant of, yes, Noah. Partholon was from Greece, but had to hightail it out of there after he killed his parents. Rather than fleeing on his lonesome, he took 9,000 followers with him and they landed at Inversine, at Kinmare in Kerry. They brought with them cattle husbandry and ploughing and they cleared several great plains in Ireland. They also have the dubious honour of creating the first instances of adultery and jealousy in Ireland. Partholon's wife had an affair with a servant, you see, and when he found out, Partholon killed his wife's dog, as well as a servant, of course. They also fought the first battle in Ireland. Shortly after their arrival, the Partholonians engaged the Formorians in battle. The Formorians were a race of monstrous sea pirates that would harry Ireland for ages to come. They could also be viewed as gods or deities themselves, which represented the destructive elements of nature. The Partholonians were victorious and enjoyed control of Ireland for 300 years. However, within a single week, all 9,000 of them died of plague near Tala, most probably as universal punishment for killing that dog. Fun fact, the Irish for Tala is Tavlocht, which means plague pit. Anyway, 30 years later, Nemed and his people came along. Surprise, surprise, Nemed is also related to Noah. The meaning of Nemed in Old Irish means privileged, holy or druid-like. The people of Nemed are etched into the landscape of Ireland, and many lochs and rivers are associated with them, such as Loch Ennell in Westmeath. They cleared many plains in Ireland, such as Magmarthemna in Brega, modern-day Louth. Nemed and his people fought and defeated the Formorians four times in four great battles around Ireland, such as that of the Battle of Bavnag in Connacht. However, his people suffered for their victories and their numbers diminished. It came to pass that another great plague swept Nemed and half of his people away, so that the Formorians were now in a position to impose a terrible tribute on the survivors. Every Samhain or Halloween, the Nemidians would have to hand over two-thirds of their children, corn and milk. After years of this cruel punishment, the people rose up and fought a ferocious battle with the Formorians, with both sides slaughtering each other to the point of extinction. With only a handful of people remaining, the remnants of Nemed fled Ireland. Some go, we are told, into the north and become the Thuadadanan. Others go east and become the ancestors of the Britons, and the rest go to Greece and become the Fearbog. It is the latter group, the Fearbog, that returned to Ireland first. After they landed in Greece, they were enslaved for 230 years, after which they said nuts to that and headed back home. The Fearboa came back as Ireland's fourth settlers and divided the island into five provinces, Leinster, Ulster, Connacht and North and South Munster. They established the High Kingship, which was based at Tara. They were only getting comfy in their new kingdoms when 30 years later, 
unexpected company arrives. The people who became the Thuwadadanan had taken refuge in the north of the world after the near total destruction of the Namidians. There they found the goddess Danu and named themselves after her. Whilst in the north they became masters of learning and were skilled in art, magic and science as well as war. Believing that the time was right to return to Ireland, they travelled by enchanted flying ships and landed on the Leitrim Mountains of Sleeve on Arian. The Thuwadadanan were supernatural beings and represented the deities of pre-Christian Gaelic Ireland. They are described as tall, fair and beautiful beings who are immortal but could still be killed. They were led by their king Nuada, but through conflicting sources as well as Christian interference we do not have a clear picture of their hierarchy. Their society appears fluid, with some individuals bleeding into the role of others. One of the prominent members of the Thuwadadanan is a man named the Dagda, who appears to hold a supreme position as father of the gods, yet is under the king, until he himself takes up the kingship for a while. There are also goddesses, and trinities of goddesses, who determine the rightful kings, change husbands as well as partake and die in some battles. There appears to be name changes for individuals in certain parts of certain stories, so it can be rather hard to pin them all down at times. They have some gods and goddesses that you'll know of, such as Lu and Bridget. Lu was the supreme champion of the Thuwadadanan and master of all arts. He lent his name to the festival of Lunasa, which is still celebrated today. Bridget was a goddess of healing, fertility and smithcraft, and may have been a triple goddess. She is associated with spring and was celebrated on the 1st of February. Wait a minute, that sounds an awful lot like St. Bridget. Ah yes, here we witness a common tactic amongst the early Christians in Ireland. They like the look of something, so they take it and slap a Christian label on it. Anyway, Nuda politely asked for half the island, but the king of the Fearbog refused and both sides prepared for battle. The descendants of Nemet met at the plain of Moitura in Kong in Mayo. The battle raged for four days, and during it, Nuda lost his hand in single combat. In the end, the Firboag were defeated, and the Thuwadadanan offered them the province of Connacht as consolation. A king may not be blemished, and as a result, Nuda had to step down. The Thuwadadanan elected their champion, Bress, to lead them. Although Bress turned out to be an awful git, he was in fact half Formorian on his dad's side, and ruled like a tyrant. He allowed the Formorians to heavily tax his people and he became infamous for his lack of hospitality which was of absolute importance in early Irish culture. Anyway, good news. The healers Dean Kecht and his son Meok restored Nuada's hand with one of silver. If that wasn't impressive enough, Meok regrew flesh to cover the silver and Nuada was again whole. Dean Kecht didn't take too kindly to being upstaged so like the sore loser he was, he bashed his son's head in. The two of the Danon were godlike, but they could still be spiteful brutes. Nuda was restored and Bress ran off to his Formorian kin to complain. Rather than telling him to sort his own mess out, the Formorians gathered an enormous armada to invade and conquer Ireland for good. So began the build-up to the Second Battle of Moitura, which is a place around Loch Arrow in Sligo this time. The two of the Danon left their mark on the landscape of Ireland through the building of their stone monuments and burial chambers. We are told of their places of residence through the identification of places that still exist today, such as the great passage tomb complex of Bruin Boigne, where first the Dagda and then his son Angus lived. These monuments assist us in recreating the exploits of our mythical ancestors. Loch Arrow has a very healthy distribution of megalithic monuments that are tied into the Battle of Moitura. The huge cairn 
which is an archaeological term for big pile of stones of Heapstown, is where the healer slash father of the year, Dean Kecht, imbued a well with magic, which allowed him to heal all the Thuadadanan warriors each day after battle. When the Formorians discovered that a bunch of lads they went to the trouble of killing the day before were being brought back to life and ready for another scrap, they each took a stone and threw it into the well until it was under such a tremendous amount of stone that it could no longer serve their enemies. The second battle of Moitura was more vicious than the first, and the killing was such that the Tuatadanan and the Formorians had to climb over embankments of their own dead to further hack and slash at each other. Nuada and his queen Macha were slain along with a large part of their people. The champion Lu rallied the Tuatadanan armies and slew the Formorian king Balor of the Evil Eye, who had been responsible for Nuada's death. When Balor fell, his great eye burned a hole in the earth, which later filled with water and was known as Loch Nasul, Lake of the Eye. Lu found the traitor Bress in the aftermath of the battle and spared his life if he showed them the secrets of farming, which the latter agreed to do. Although greatly diminished in number, the Thuadadanan ruled Ireland for 300 years after. The sixth and final invasion of Ireland was with the coming of humans, the Gaelic people, known as the Milesians who came from Spain. When one of their kin, named Etha, travelled to Ireland, he met with the three ruling kings of the Thuadadanan. They were all getting on grand until someone said something they shouldn't have, and Etha ended up dead. His Milesian kin were none too pleased and set sail from Spain to conquer Ireland. Although the Thuadadanan were magical beings and perhaps superior in many respects to humans, they were overwhelmed by the warlike ferocity of the Milesians and defeated. They agreed a truce and to divide Ireland between them. The cunning Gaels claimed Ireland above ground, leaving the Thuadadanan to retreat underground into the other world, which was also known as the Shi, spelled S-I-D-H-E, and refers to the great burial mounds and ring forts. The Thuadadanan became known as the people of the Shi. Their interaction did not cease there. From the other world, the remnants of the once mighty Thuadadanan came forth to interfere with humans as they wished. The Gaels, for their part, began to respect and worship these gods. The rivers, hills, mountains and forests of Ireland had their associated gods and goddesses, and at those places the veil between the two worlds could be thin and traversed by both gods and some humans, should the situation allow. The Thuadadanan remained as gods until the coming of Christianity, and then began a long process of diminishment under Christian teachings, eventually being characterised as nothing more than fairies which is an altogether other interesting topic. Agashine. So thanks a million for listening. I'm Barry Smith of Fingal Libraries, and I hope you'll bring yourself to tune in next week for another thrilling episode. Slongafoil. So